Praise the Lord on this morning. Y'all can do better than that. Praise the Lord on this morning. I used to say where I come from, act like the Lord did something for you. He's done it for us. It's a pleasure and a privilege and an honor and a blessing to stand before you on this morning. Um, CJ, I'm going back to my black church days. We give honor to whom honor is due. <laughs> and we just want to say hello. I, I believe they're watching. We want to say hello to our pastors, Pastor Harold Watkins and Pastor Mary Lou Watkins. Give them a hand clap of praise, y'all. We miss you guys. Okay, so we are going to finish up. It's my job on today to finish up what Pastor Harold started, talking about the fivefold ministry. Let me open my iPad here. Uh, just so you know, I don't have Fiji. I got Niagara. <laughs> but I got Mattel, too. <laughs> and so we're talking about the fivefold ministry gifts. So it's my job this morning to talk about the last but not least of the fivefold ministry gifts, the teacher. Just to reemphasize what Apostle Pastor Harold has already stated, Freedom Fellowship Church is a fivefold ministry church, which simply means we believe that all of the of Ephesians 4 and 11 was true and in effect during the first century of the church, and it is in effect today. We believe in the office of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. But before we jump into talking about the teacher, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, and Richard, I'm going to start at verse 7, and I'm going to read down to verse 16. Ephesians 4, verse 7. And it says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. As I read that, I hope that a picture 
begins to form in your mind about what this is all about. Because Paul uses descriptive terms, talking about the body and the joints, to describe the fact and the truth that we are one body. Now, before we jump into the teacher, I'm going to do a short review of each of the previous offices that have been uh, preached on in the past several weeks. I'm going to start with the apostle. It's the Greek word apostolos, and it means it's a delegate, a messenger, or one sent forth with orders. They're on a mission. Pastor Harold mentioned that apostles established vision and set forth purpose. Apostles are sent ones who establish churches and their foundations. Referring back to Ephesians 2, where it talks about the churches built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Then we have the office of the prophet. It's the Greek word prophetes. One who moved by the Spirit of God, and hence his spokesperson, solemnly declares to men what he has received by the Spirit of God, especially concerning future events that relate to the cause and the kingdom of God. Prophets have authority to speak, instruct, comfort, encourage, rebuke, convict, and stimulate to action the hearers. Prophet Ron said several weeks ago that God will often use the prophet as a disruptor. I like to say that they're fire starters. Then we have the evangelists. In the Greek, it's the term euangelistis, a bringer of good tidings or good news, heralds of salvation in Christ for the purpose of bringing the lost to Christ, but also bringing back home those who may have strayed away from Christ. Evangelist Don Babin mentioned a couple weeks ago that he's the guy that gives birth to babies. Then we have the pastor. It's the Greek word poimen. It's a herdsman, especially a shepherd, an overseer of Christian assemblies or churches. Now I want you to listen to the task. I was in my research I saw this. These are the tasks that a Middle Eastern shepherd does. And when you hear this, you'll see that this is what a pastor does. The Middle Eastern shepherd watches for enemies trying to attack the sheep, and they defend the sheep. They also are there to heal the wounded and sick sheep. They're also there to find and save the lost or trapped sheep. And they're most of all there to love the sheep, sharing their lives and so earning their trust. That describes Pastor Harold. Now let's get into the teacher. The teacher is the Greek word didaskalos or didaskalos, however you want to pronounce it. One who teaches or instructs concerning the word of God. Now, what typically characterizes a five-fold ministry teacher? Truth, truth, truth. Let me say that again. Truth, truth, truth. 
when I recognized that I was called as a teacher in the fivefold, that was one of the things that I, I can't tolerate lies or deception. I can't even sit in the presence if I know that deception is going on. I remember some years ago, and this wasn't really deception, but it was something that was being taught wrong because the person who was teaching it was put in front of the people way too soon. And I won't say who that person was. And they were put before a national television audience. And the person was so off base, my wife and I were sitting there watching it, and she might remember this. We were sitting there watching it, and I could only listen to so much, I had to get up and leave the room. Because I felt so bad because I knew he was way off base. A teacher, a five-fold teacher, is concerned above all things, truth, truth, truth. Now, that's not to say that the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the pastor are, isn't concerned with those things as well. They are. But it's just something about the teacher. Another characteristic of the teacher, we have a love and passion for the word of God. Our passion goes so deep that we'll even read books like Leviticus. <laughs> Most people just pass by Leviticus. No, we dig into Leviticus, and you'll be surprised the nuggets of truth that you'll find. Another thing for the teacher. We have a love and passion to impart what God reveals to them we want to give it to others. We want to share it with others. I remember after I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, one of the things that God would do, he, he started just showing me so much. And I would be studying the word, and I would come running out of my room. And I would share it with my wife. And she's sitting there like... <laughs> and... I said, don't you see it? Don't you get it? And she was like, y y yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> and then this would happen again. And then finally she had to tell me, she said, Ed, you have to understand something. What you're receiving, everybody else doesn't receive. And see, that's the thing about being the teacher. And this is something I want to stress this, because... A teacher receives revelation. You can study, and that's good. You can read scriptures, that's good. But one who has been anointed as a, a teacher in the body of Christ receives revelation. Things open up to them. I once described this to my wife. Anybody watch the show, The Good Doctor? And the main character, I mean, he, he's, he's different. Many times teachers are different. But I had this, it, they depicted when, you, if you've seen the show, The Doctor, they may be struggling with something with a patient, and they're trying to figure it out. What is the problem with this patient? 
And all of a sudden in the episode, there will be something. They'll focus on the person, the young man that's the doctor, and all of a sudden he has these pictures that come before him. And all of a sudden he sees and he gets a quote-unquote revelation of what the problem is and how to treat it. That is exactly what happens with me. Pictures come. Things come together. Just like I, when I first saw that, I was like, that's me. That's me. <laughs> a teacher receives revelation. Another thing that characterized the teacher, we have a love for reading books about God, the word of God, the kingdom, anything associated with God and the scriptures. If you've been to my house, I have two closets. And those closets are set up as libraries in my room. Because I have all of these books, and I haven't even read all of them. But I love books about the word of God because one day, sooner or later, I'm going to get to that book. That's a teacher. One of the reasons why I'm describing this is because I'm hoping that there may be one or two or who knows how many people who are starting. It's starting to wait a minute. That sounds kind of like me. Here's another thing that characterizes a teacher. We have a strong desire to see others get it. We love it when we see in people's eyes or their expressions that the light has come on. If we see that, we are happy. We are rejoicing. I remember one time some years ago, because this is something else that characterizes the teacher. I'm going to kind of paint, might be kind of a gross picture for you, but I think you'll get it. In the men's group, we've been talking about this word, meditate. And I've heard it described, if you go back to Psalm 1, where it talks about, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. That word meditate has many meanings, but I've heard it described this way. If you've seen a mother bird, and they get food for their baby birds, they chew on that food until it breaks down so that the baby bird can then digest it. And so they pass down the food that they've been chewing on down to the baby bird so that they can digest it. That's what a teacher does. They meditate on the word until it can be broken down so that anybody, young or old, can get it. That's what a teacher does. I remember some years ago a young lady came Actually, it was her mom that came up to me, and she said, my daughter, who was maybe 13, 14 years old at the time, says, she really enjoys when you teach because I can understand when you teach. Now, I'm not saying that as a pat on my back. I'm talking about what a teacher does. A teacher is able to break the word of God down so that anybody can get it. And if we, if we sense that you didn't get it, we're going to go back and try, try harder. Because our passion 
our calling is not only to understand and know the word for ourselves, but to help others know and understand it also. That's the teacher. And see, here's the passion of a teacher. And it also serves as proof that others get it. Go with me to 3 John. It's only one chapter in 3 John. Actually, there's only a few verses in that one chapter. Third John, and we're going to read verses 2 through 4. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. John was an apostle, but I think the heart of his ministry was as a teacher, because as a teacher, the greatest joy we get is to see people who started out as babes and grow into mature believers, because you can see the evidence of it in their walking. They're walking in truth. Now, that's very, very important considering the days that we are living in right now. We are living in the last days. Turn with me. I didn't give you these scriptures, Richard, so forgive me. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. This is right before Jesus is about to lay his life down. And they come out of the temple and his disciples, because the temple had, was a very fancy structure at this time. It had been uh, built. Well, the temple had, the original temple had been built by the Jews, but then King Herod had built some other uh, parts to it that made it very ornate, very fancy, if you will. And so they told Jesus, hey, Jesus, look at the temple and all of the buildings surrounding it. And Jesus said, the day is coming where there will not be one stone left upon another. And so they asked him, okay, what are you talking about, Jesus? When will this happen? What will be the sign of uh, the end of the age and of your return? And so Jesus sets forth to give them signs of what will occur in the last days before he returns. And he gives a whole list of items, but something that is a recurring theme in his list of items is here in Matthew 24. Look at verse 4 and 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Skip down to verse 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And then skip down to verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the des desert, do not go out or look. 
He is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. What's my point? Deception characterizes the times we are currently living in. And if you don't sense the deception that is surrounding you right now, you must be living in a cave. Because deception surrounds us. If you go on the internet, you're hearing deception. If you watch the news, and I don't care what station you watch, depend, I don't care which way you lean, there's a certain amount of deception that is going on. Deception characterizes these times. Jesus gave several warnings about this. The Apostle Paul talked about it too. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul is talking to the saints at Thessalonica. And he wants to talk about the return of our Lord and the gathering of ourselves to him, the rapture. Because there was some deception going on. Folks had been telling them that Christ had already returned. And he was there to point out, no, that has not happened. Verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now skip down to verse 9. The coming of the lawless is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So the rejection of truth means that you will be given over by God to deception. There's only two choices. You're either walking in the truth or you're walking in deception. That's why for the true teacher of God, truth is so important because souls are at stake. It will determine where you spend eternity, heaven or hell. There is a great responsibility that comes with being a teacher. Go to James chapter 3. James 3 verse 1. The apostle James gives a warning. He says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. He says, don't jump up and down about being a teacher. There is weight that comes. There's responsibility that comes with being a teacher. And I personally believe that when James referred to the teacher, because the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the pastor also teach, he's referring to them as well. 
There is great responsibility. We are responsible for ensuring that we convey to the people truth. I know when I teach, if I know I'm giving my opinion, I make sure to let other people know this is my perspective. I'm very careful about conveying to someone else just my own thoughts or ideas. But when I know I'm conveying the truth, I let you know it. And here is the thing. One of the things I get teased about often, in fact, somebody brought it up earlier this morning because they knew I was preaching on this morning. And they said, we're ready to go from this passage to that passage to this passage to getting ready to turn pages. There's a reason why I do that, because I want you to know I'm not just taking scripture out of context. I want you to see it in multiple places so that you know that what I'm conveying to you is the word of the living God. You can see it for yourself. So that's why I do that, just if you ever wondered. The teacher works extremely hard to ensure that he or she is accurate in their teaching. You must demonstrate to others that you are seeking to live what you teach. That's very important. I need to be walking in what I'm teaching you. I can't lead you where I have not been. Anyone that gets before the people when they're preaching or teaching, no matter what their position is. And one thing I learned, folk are checking out everything. They are looking at what you have on. They are looking at what comes out of your mouth. They are paying attention to how you act with your spouse. They're paying attention to how you conduct yourselves with your children. They're paying attention to if you're on your job, how do you conduct yourself on your job? They want to know that you truly believe what you're preaching or teaching. I mean... If I recommend a restaurant to you, you assume it's because I've been there and tasted and seen that the food there is good. So if I'm talking to you or teaching you about the word of God, you assume because I, that I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That goes with any position in the body of Christ. Now, what is the purpose? I'm at a point where it says my conclusion, but that doesn't guarantee I only got five minutes now, just, just so you know. What purpose does the fivefold ministry gifts serve? What's the goal? Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you look at, of course, in verse 11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, 
some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. In verse 12, it tells us what the purpose of this was when Jesus gave gifts. It's for the equipping or the supplying of what is needed to the saints for the work of ministry. Let me say that again. It's for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So in other words, the apostle, prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, aren't the only ones working. In fact, our positions are here so we equip you to work. I always like looking at coming to church. One of the things, and people have heard me talk about this, I think one of the weaknesses of the church in the West is that it's become very institutionalized. It's become the place where people gather to go. I go to church. And what that has done is it obscured people's understanding that you don't go to church, you are the church. You are the church. And when we come together, you know what this really is? This is a filling station. Oh, I know some of y'all know what I'm talking about when I say that. This is a gas station. And this is where you come to fill up. But when you go to a gas station to fill up, you don't camp out at the gas, gas station, do you? No, you fill up at the gas station so that you can go into the world to your respective destinations so that you can do business in the world. So when you think of Freedom Fellowship, think of this as a filling station, a gas station, an equipping station. That's what we do here. We equip you to go out and minister into the world. Also, if you look, let's see, second part of verse 12. For the edifying of the body of Christ or the building up of the body so that you grow. This brings about the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, growth into a complete man to the fullness of Christ. That's what you'll see in verses 13 through 16. And when it talks about the fullness of Christ, it's talking about the fullness of maturity. It prevents people from being shaken by false doctrine and deception. And the ultimate purpose is that we grow into who we are in Christ, the head. Now, this illustration comes to mind. How many people have seen the movie Captain America? What was the, the first one titled? The, the first Avenger? Is that what it was? The very first one, that's what I'm referring to. The first Avenger, okay. Remember Captain America, before he became Captain America. He was an individual who was very slight in build with a big head. It looked weird. Now I know they were playing tricks with the camera, but what they were trying to convey is just how small and weak this individual was. But then, 
Once the transformation took place, he came out looking like Captain America, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his heyday. Well, that's what God is doing with the body of Christ. That's what he's doing. We start out as that individual who can barely carry a gun. But his goal is that we end up as that individual who can throw a gun 20 miles away from him. I know that's really an exaggeration, but you get my point. That's the goal. That's why it says in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Now, one of the things that I try to do is to convey God's heart to you. So where is the heart of God in all of this? What's the big picture? Let's go up to starting verse 1 in Ephesians 4. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. God's desire is for unity in the bond of peace. But here's the thing, that unity must be rooted in truth. One of the things you may have seen, there's an outcry for unity because our country, our nation is in such disunity right now. Be careful who you heed when you hear someone calling for unity. Remember, and see, people, this, I hate when people misrepresent Jesus. Because often they will say, Jesus is love. He was all about love. We should just love one another. But that very same Jesus who wants us to love one another is the same Jesus that said, think not that I've come to bring peace, but I've come to separate mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, son-in-law and father-in-law where a person's own enemies will be in their own household. In other words, I came to divide. I didn't get much applause on that one. But understand, here's what you need to understand. Truth divides in order to determine where you stand and who is on the Lord's side. Let me say that again. Truth divides in order to determine where you stand and who is on the Lord's side. When back in my Florida days, I was a part of the choir. Believe it or not, I sang in the choir. <laughs> and one of the songs, no, I'm not showing you that, sis. <laughs> I can harmonize, but I can't lead. 
But one of the songs we used to sing is, where do you stand? Who's on the Lord's side? And then we would end with, I'm on the Lord's side. That's the whole point of truth. It's supposed to defy. Don't be surprised by that. God wants people, yes, he wants unity in the bond of peace, but it is rooted in truth. That's why Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No man can come to the Father except he comes by me. Don't be surprised when you're standing for truth if there are family members that leave your side. Don't be surprised if you take a stand for truth and your friends leave your side. Don't be surprised when you stand for truth and people you work with turn their back on you. Because your unity is not based in agreement at large, it's based in truth. Now, what Paul has said here in Ephesians 4 harkens back to Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. And here's where we're going to end. John chapter 17. Give you a couple seconds to get there. Often, you know, there's a prayer that's called the Lord's Prayer where it says, Our Father who art in heaven. I call that the disciples' prayer. This right here in John chapter 17 is the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to read the whole chapter because I want to drive home a point. John 17, starting at verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Listen closely to what he says. That your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So here in these first five verses, Jesus is asking the Father to restore to him the glory he had with him before the foundation of the world. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. 
Holy Father, keep through your name those you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And so now Jesus's request of the father is that his disciples partake in the fellowship that he has with the father. So Jesus first prays for his relationship between him and the father. Then he prays for his relationship between the father, the son, and the disciples. But he does not stop there. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who is that, y'all? That's us. That they all may be one as you As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Can you hear the passion with which Jesus is praying here? He has you in mind as he's making these requests. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the fountain of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. I declare to you on today the love of the Father for you. His desire is that you walk in truth. The purpose of the fivefold ministry is to build each one of us up that we will continue to walk in truth until he comes or he takes us home. Amen.